Hi, Anna. Thank you for being on the show today. Really big fan of Rogue Studios. First thing, I well, a couple things I want to just like, questions I've been wanting to ask you. What do you call the game on Nier versus the studio versus everything? What's sort of the language I should use? Yeah, great question. Uh, so the studio is called Rogue Studio. So that is with the, uh, an S at the end, coming from Rogue, right? Uh, yep. And then the game is called Worlds of Rogue. So that's the differentiation. Yes, think like World of Warcraft, but with rogues at the end. <laughs> cool, awesome, that's awesome. And jumping around, today you wrote a, a, a tweet and your team did a great, it said, you think you need investment. This is what Rogue's studio did with no investment, just hard daily work, which is so impressive. And then you talk, one game released in alpha, second game in development, 15K community members, super impressive. Game retention of greater than 30%, which I want to dive into that. And 2X sold out paid mints, which I'm a big fan of as well. So let's just start off with that. Like what inspired you to write that today and kind of like why? Because that's a, that's really impressive stuff. And definitely. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. So for a while, we've been thinking about um, essentially trying to uh, communicate uh, a lot about what we're doing, right? Um, and this is the truth. We are, both me and my co-founder Morgan are builders, right? So we work mm -hmm. very hard. We are very product product focused and we, we do a lot. And um, in this day and age of Web3, uh, not every team is, is in such a way, right? We've seen nope. a lot of examples. <laughs> exactly, right. Uh, a lot of examples where uh, where founders raise a lot of money and they can't deliver. So actually, it was Morgan's idea to to try and communicate the truth, as shocking as that might be, right? Uh, that's the truth that we've achieved so much in our eyes and I think in everyone's eyes without investment. And that's something that we should be proud of versus hide yeah. behind the curtains, right? So. From today, we're starting to communicate and we'll be talking a lot about achievement uh, in the following weeks to come. Yeah, I, I, we just, uh, Joe and I thought that was just such a cool way to say it because, you know, you've been around the space for a while. There was that era in sort of the bull market where people were raising a lot of money with like really lofty roadmaps and some just made up roadmaps and they didn't ship a lot. And even some of the stuff that like raised money did ship and it was like, it was like some like basic Fiverr website and they're like, there you go. And it's like, no, this is not shipping product. This is like doing the bare minimum to make it look like something. So yeah. uh, as someone who's like gone into your game and seen the art and seen the branding and seen the design and seen everything like to, to say, to see, and like, I didn't realize you had zero investment that way. It made it even more impressive because it's like a, the, the level is so high yet the investment is so low. What do you think? Thank like, you. yeah, I'm curious. I'm wondering, have you and uh, Morgan thought about like what the next couple of years are going to be like, or maybe next year in that situation? Like, the market might shift a little bit. Maybe people are going to start actually caring about real builders. Let's hope so, right? Let's hope so. Um, great point. And just to clarify on that, actually, I think you're not the only one. I realized I spoke to a, a, a huge marketplace on year uh, just yesterday. And I think they really didn't realize that we don't have loads of investment because, yeah, there were some advertising options, et cetera. I just had to tell them, look, whatever we've achieved, we just don't have huge marketing budgets right now because we don't have this VC funding. So uh, it's good that we're portraying such a, such a picture for sure. I'm flattered. Um, but how, how the future is looking forward is definitely we have multiple options here. Um, 
we have a big vision and let's yeah. be clear about that, right? Our vision is to build multiple games. We're also working on an educational platform because Morgan already has more than 100,000 students as well as further down the line, we want to build additional products. Um, but what we are realizing here is uh, we can do this. Yes, we'll be looking for investment, but we have a plan B and C in which yet yeah, we can really grow organically for a, a sustainable a period of time and we can achieve revenue generation before seeking investment. So yes, our plans are big, but a lot of it is achievable because we have the building capacity in house to achieve this. That's that's awesome. Yeah. And I think you're, you're hitting on something that I'm been thinking about a lot. Joe and I have been thinking about with our projects too. And it's that it's kind of a great time to build organically and not have a ton of funding hanging over a project right now, forcing users. Like there might just not be enough users to sustain most projects who have maybe a lot of funding that they need to like try to figure out growth metrics. Like you start like throwing like web two product, like a paradigm thoughts onto your projects. And it's like, doesn't hold up. Cause there's just not the, the pool of users. So over this next year or two, while users are organically coming into the space, it's sort of like a, I think a secret weapon that we didn't raise money like that you haven't, because then it's like this yeah. next year or two, you're organically building an audience users, figuring out the business model. So then when investors come in, you can be like, okay, here's where your money can go to. And I think that's yeah. going to be so powerful in the next sort of cycle. That's, that's, I, I see it like coming, you know, it's off in the horizon, but it's on its way. Yeah, totally agree. And I think exactly what you said there. Um, if you say you have the millions invested and during, uh, during the bull run, and then we all saw what happens, then it was very difficult for those companies they had they had to make redundancies, right? It mm -hmm. was it was very difficult for those companies that raised then to sustain the growth that they had. So it's significantly more difficult. Um, and also when it comes to gaming, yeah. sadly what I'm noticing is yes, yeah, uh, absolute craziness there um, of you know inflated numbers that do not mean a lot, yeah. right? Just because a lot of companies have to keep a face that they have X amount of users, right? But when it comes to actually engaged users. That's a different story. And yeah, that's quite an interesting story there, how how yeah. people are presenting things. Do you want to add any more about what it's like building without any funding? Yeah, definitely. I think my advice to pro projects and people that want to start, um, I would say it's totally doable, right? If you have strong founders uh, and you, if you have a lot of, of course, motivation and drive, um, you can do so much without investment. Um, so in our case, yes, we've been extremely lean and that is mostly possible because we have the talent in-house, right? For the yeah. key elements, right? The product specifically. Um, so yes, I was, um, I've given the figure of like how much we've done with how, how much money and essentially probably we'll share it publicly soon. Uh, cool. But uh, essentially people are shocked, right? Like we said earlier, like how is this possible? It's possible by being extremely selective as well, where you spend your money, right? Yeah. who you work with um, and just always um, building transparency so you can involve your community as well and get some extra help. Yeah. But of course, first and foremost, yes, it's about the team and the drive and the motivation and working hard. That's for sure. That's all. Uh, real quick, what's your, per what's your dream team? How many people is your ideal dream team for like bootstrapping startup? What do you need? Web three, bare minimum. 
what is your oh, perfect okay. combo? I think I think you definitely need uh, for, I would say three founders is probably a better number than than two, mm -hmm. uh, because you know, and we are essentially three founders by the way. Ben is is another founder, so three founders. So you, you know, if their argument between the two, right, the third one, right, kind yep. of serves as a, as a balance. Um, and then, of course, you will need a few more people than that. But I don't think you need more than um, six, seven, six people, say, something like that. Five, six people to, for bootstrapping. After that, you know, first pre-seed, you know, in the West, I think in Western country, people, no, they normally grow to like 10-ish people, no more than that. I think in Web3, we've heard cases where, you know, within a few months, suddenly it's a 30-people team. I think yeah. that is too much. Agree. Then you something happens, you have to make people redundant. That's not good. Mm. So I'd say start with five to six people, uh, extend to 10, 15, and take it, take it from there. Definitely. I would say if you get a dev in-house, that's probably crucial in Web3 just because it's so few people know how to navigate, especially because each chain slightly different. You know, like Soul sure. and Nier are both on Rust, but it's like different account structures, all this stuff. So having a dev, I think. Um, I think having someone who is really strong at UX, UI, is really good in product. I think that's important. Marketing, I'm torn on, and that's coming from a marketer. Like I think it's, I think the marketer has to play a couple roles, especially in the early stages. Like you can't just fully market in early stages. I think you got to do like, you've got to put wear a couple hats. Maybe it's a growth. Maybe it's a outreach. Maybe it's like you know doing that kind of say partnerships, marketing. That all kind of can chunk together. Uh, and then I think yeah. freelancing, scaling up is important. Being able to have like a couple, maybe a front end dev, you can like you know, you can freelance out a couple of the gigs. I think mm -hmm. that's important too. What, what do you yeah. feel? Do you feel like the freelancing and scaling up and down is important? Yes, definitely. I think um, obviously every team member at the start, they have, they have wear multiple hats, right? Yeah. Like you said, it's not just one thing. It's not streamlined. Um, but I'm actually, I think a little bit, I disagree with you on the marketing side, maybe because see, everyone wants, to, wants what they don't have. Yeah, but I think yeah. strong marketing is a good thing to have. Like you said, actually, marketing who can do a growth and business partnerships, that's ideal. Yeah. Uh, and I think um, definitely if you don't have that person, then at least somebody who, who can really do a little bit of business as well. Like, yes, the partnerships is, is everything. And if yeah. everyone is focused on product, you know, you, you won't have anyone to do the deals for you. So uh, like, you know, collaborations, et cetera. So I think marketing, uh, development, um, and of course, community management, if, if you're B2C. So that's Agreed. probably key things there. So something I'm curious about this 15 K community members, what's it been like building your community? And then maybe I think, uh, a way to take this is you started on Polygon and you're now you're on a couple chains sort of take us through a little bit of that process. It'd be really interesting. Yeah, definitely. So a lot of it was, um, kind of slow and steady and, uh, rather organic, but, but we actually started from Polygon back when it was almost the end of the bull market. So that was the beginning of 2022. I think it was still bull market in a way. Um, and in, then we, we did we did some of the, tr the traditional things, right? A little bit of influencer advertising, promotions, collaborations. So I think this really helped a lot kick us off uh, for the initial thousands or so. And from then on, we have really, uh, yeah, continued to do so. But we haven't done um, 
yeah, we haven't had huge budgets to throw at it. And I think okay. that's the difference between us and uh, like a VC invested company that has a lot of money to throw at this. Well, yeah. And I, I'm uh, from a marketer standpoint, like when I see community, there's talk about numbers that could be read in different ways, right? Like a strong 1000 person community is wildly more beneficial than a hundred thousand sort of fake sort of cheated community, right? Where the invest, like where the engagement isn't high. So like when I see like numbers, that means nothing to me. I start to like peel back those layers of like, okay, let's see what engagements are like. Let, let, let's see if there's like genuine people talking. You know what I mean? When you did uh, influencer stuff, what was that like? Did you, cause I'm, I've been, I'm torn on influencer marketing. Like I like it, I get it. But then it's like, how do you find the right influencer? That's not just like showing, I don't know. What, what did you find in that process? Yeah, there are a lot of bad apples out there. Yeah, I know. So, um, so definitely, I, I, would, I wouldn't recommend it unless you really, really know that um, the influencer is legitimate. So actually, the ones that we kind of like working with were very small and yeah. legit, right? Meaning, for example, less than 5K YouTube subscribers. Because there is a lot, again, there is a lot of inflated numbers, specifically on Twitter, but also YouTube. So, um, but for those that, that were legitimate, we had a couple of future videos made like this in this way. Um, they actually had some good audiences. And I think our early, some early community members came from there, but I wouldn't recommend it maybe now, right? Unless you know what you're doing. The sub 5k followers. I'm a big believer in like, maybe instead of going for one big, huge YouTube or whatever influencer, you find like a community of other ones and sort of. I mean, it's even a good way if you can time it right, we're over like two weeks or a month, you have a, you know, like you kind of time it as a campaign. Now, what exactly if, and I would love this, just like, what is Rogues building right now? Just like, and we can riff as long as you want. I can jump in. We can just kind of see where this goes. Cause I know you're building a lot, but let's just break it up with like what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. So right now we are very focused on Word of Rogues, our flagship game, uh, which is the post-apocalyptic social MMORPG. So we are building season one right now, right? Uh, we are mid-season, but also um, we're still kind of uh, fleshing things out for that season and revealing some surprises uh, and keep building as well uh, while, while it's happening. Uh, and then very soon we are starting our, in fact, we are also have started already with our second game called Heroes of the Flow, right? So that Ooh. will be uh, a mobile game, mobile first game. Uh, and with that game, we're part of the Flow Incubation Pilot. So uh, we're kind of the official incubation program for that. We're really excited about that as well. All right, let me break that down. Okay, so first, um, World of Rogues is the one on Nier. Is that also Polygon? They both can play in that one, right? Or is that, are they different? Yeah, so it's both Polygon and Nier, yeah. Do they play in the same world? You just attach whichever wallet and then you both play in the same world? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that's the beauty of it. I think, I don't know of any other games that can, maybe they are, but in our game, both Polygon and Nier users are exactly the same. They're in the same world. I think it's really nice. I think that's such a cool idea. I also yeah. think that just that approaches how it should be. Like, you know, eventually, you know, as the tech advances in a few years from now, World of Rogues could have multiple chains and you just connect whichever wallet you're into and then just go exactly. play the game and then you could almost have this beautiful, like diverse world of multiple chains all playing. That's cool. So then the second thing that you're building this flow, I don't know much about that. So do you want to break that down a little bit? The mobile game? Yeah, definitely. So back in February, uh, we Morgan and I took a part of a one week hackathon. It was exactly seven days. 
in which you we had to create a whole game. I mean, it could have wow. been any product, but of course with us, right? Yeah. We, we had an idea for a game that we wanted to build. So we were like, let's do it. Let's take seven days uh, off our normal task or along with them and build a game. So essentially within seven days, we built an MVP of the game, wow. deployed it even to Google Play that incorporated the blockchain as well. And that's one thing about Flow. It's fairly easy to uh, get it up and running quickly to integrate it in your product. Technically, mm -hmm. they've done it this way. But essentially, we were uh, we were one of the winners of the Flow Hackathon back in February, nice. and that's really led to working with Flow, um, receiving a couple of grants, and actually, right. Morbid is also doing a course as well as the game itself. He's doing uh, again an educational piece on how to add Flow, uh, how, how to add Flow blockchain to a game as well. That's awesome. Mark, Mark sounds like a beast dev, and even him combined doing great work. Um, so Flow's a blockchain. I don't know much about it. See, that's, there's just so much stuff. It's like, yeah, stay in the space and it's like, there's another, is it another proof of uh, stake blockchain? Or is it like a layer two or what? where does it kind of land? Uh, so it's it's L1. Let's not get too, too technical, but do you know CryptoKitties? Yeah. Yeah, so they're on Flow blockchain. So Dapper Labs, yeah. the creators of CryptoKitties created Flow blockchain to support right. it. So it's kind of, um, it's fairly, it, it's easy to use, right? Um, so you set up a wallet, it's fairly easy to use. And nice. I think um, it's its own thing, really. Um, yeah, because it's mobile, right? So you're going to have a mobile game that's going to be separate. Uh, is it going to also have a flow like NFTs that can be incorporated in the game? Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, but cool. it's, it's our vision for that is that it's going to be game first, then blockchain yeah. second, meaning that blo the blockchain will be used more in the background for uh, for the systems, but it's not really play to earn or anything like that. It's a normal game that utilizes blockchain technology. Yeah, I'm just like so interested on this gaming because gaming was such a hype narrative and it's hard to make a game. Some of these games take years to make in the gaming world, right? And uh, so what do you just think is like a, your general philosophy like on gaming? Um, I love gaming. Gaming, uh, for me, gaming is the ultimate creation process, right? It's the ultimate art because oh. it creates, think of everything, all the pieces that make a game, right? So that's art, visual art, music, game design, coding, right? You have so many elements. So it's the ultimate shape of an art piece, but it's also the most difficult one to make. So I think in my mind, there is just so many things that need to go right. And to be honest, Morgan and I wanted to do games for many years. Um, but what happened is that we always said to ourselves, okay, are we ready for this? You know, it's going to be uh, maybe tough, right? Even though Morgan has previously done it, right? And has some successes. Uh, and truth to be told, uh, we we were ready last year, right? We were ready yeah. to, with the Web3 technology. We wanted to give it a go. And I'm glad that we did, you know. It's not easy, but it's definitely uh entertaining and enjoyable journey most of the time <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's cool but I, I i think i really like that like with games like how much goes into them right like you're right it is it's art it's tech it's story it's so ux ui there's so much stuff about it so i think this is a good point to pivot to like your specialty which we know really well because you're incredibly talented uh UX, UI, and possibly other stuff. So if you want to share a bit about you and sort of who you are and 
what you focus on. No, no, definitely. Yeah, so um, I started my career back uh, back in uh, more than 10 years ago. I'm not going to say exactly Same. When. Same with me. No worries. Because that's going to give away my age. <laughs> I, I had an OG MySpace account. Don't even mess. I'm with you. <laughs> okay, I have an idea of your age then. I remember MySpace. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so, so yeah, basically I started in, um, as a designer and, uh, kind of got, went my way into digital design and from there more UX UI and, um, together actually with Morgan started our first startup, uh, about seven or eight years ago. And we wanted to really combine our skill set, me on the design side, UX UI and he, he, him on the coding side, but. Uh, what I really loved about startups and really the product creation process really get me to think more beyond just the the product design, right? So since then, I've also been coaching early stage startups on, on the whole product uh, management process, finding product market fit, you know, designing their their structures, their organizations, as well as their product. So. In a nutshell, that's my background. It's more expansive than just design. Um, but yes, yeah. I do specialize in, in early stage startups and products uh, more than anything else. Yeah, totally. And Joe and I have actually been working with you on Shard Dog, some of the UX UI, and also some like of the stuff you're talking about for our, our Shard Dog link. So uh, we've gotten to see it firsthand and it's been wildly eye opening. <laughs> stuff we never I, even thought about, you in know? A good way. Oh, yeah. Story. Joe's such a strong dev tech individual and I'm very marketing and that's how I think about it, like storytelling stuff. So then when you get into like, how should the flow of a product go? It, it, it's a, it's a whole different thought. It's a whole different education that we both don't have. So yeah, it's been really helpful. Yeah. It can be quite complex. And I think a lot of founders are very close to the product, right? Yeah. And even it happens to me when I work on my own product, it's always more difficult than having a specialist come and, and have a look at everything. But either way, I think it's important, especially in this day and age, more than ever to, to design good products, because if you design yeah. a good product, everything else is going to follow, right? It can't be just marketing. You, ha you have to have a good product as well. A absolutely. And like, let's, let's target a little bit about near and what, what your experience is like of that. Cause this podcast is sort of near focus. I mean, it's everything, but near focus. Uh, how did you get into near? And then what's it been like building on Nier? Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of my first experiences on Nier was actually the Nier.com oh. last year in Lisbon. Uh, yeah. So that was really, really awesome. Uh, really good to see. We were uh, very excited to just get into this world of kind of a lot of people knowing one another. So it did feel <laughs> like a small family, should we yeah. say. Nier.com um, did have that vibe in Lisbon. It was a blast. But yeah, we all knew each other. Did you travel to... Yeah. Yeah. I did it. I hosted a talk on refi there on the main stage and stuff. Yeah, it was really fun. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. yeah. So at that point, you know, we were we were not known and we were kind of finding our way. Uh, but Morgan had won a grant for his educational course about nice. building on year. So we were kind of just figuring things out. Um, and actually, we we launched our game in April this year. So in between this time, uh, you know, there were some conversations about a small grant. So we managed to get a, a, one, a, one of those end of last year. And really by the time that we really uh, were ready to go, it was April. But when we did, I think, I tend to think that we really launched with a blast kind of thing. Things happen quite f fast, right? Yeah. We really launched in April. 
we got our free mint where people could just mint and go and game uh, playing the game straight away and yeah. then we became a trending collection so it was really pleasant right and a really fast onboarding into the ecosystem um so yeah it was really good uh let's break down the game and how it works like the fun of it right like because i've played it a couple times so like okay you don't play all the time every day there's certain times that we can play the game right what what is that what 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 are the times we can play the game yep so the first time is 12 p.m utc right okay. 12 p.m utc and the second one is 8 p.m utc Right. Um, so that's a standard time. Uh, yeah. And you can play for how long? Um, for uh, 45 minutes each. Okay. And how come that's how, is that just how you roll out games? This is a great question, Jared. I think, um, great question. So because we're a social game, right? You need a certain number of, of users to always be there to make it a social game. Right. Okay. So in our case, we wanted to, uh, this is fundamental that people, they come in. They have a chat, right? As well as playing, they're completing quests together, but they can see one another when they're playing. So we're very much focused on the social experience, which means that at any given time that the game is live, we need to have people in. Now, um, the reality of it, because we are a small team, as we discussed earlier, this we can't really um, afford to always have support for it 24-7, but also just to create a, um, a, a, such a huge marketing campaign that we have users to fill all the gaps, right? To get 24-7 game, you probably need a few thousand of players, right? Or at least a thousand. So we're not there yet, but the players that we do have, they every single day, they come, yeah. <laughs> come in, honestly. And the, the we haven't seen a drop-off or anything like that. It's all only growing. So we're steadily growing. And it's the same people. They know one another because they come at the same time slot, right? And this builds community. So we talked a little bit about that. Community is so important. And we put so much effort to make this happen. And it's beautiful just to see people coming in, knowing one another and playing together. And what what are some of the activities? You said quests. Can We can explain that a little bit. That's... Yeah, definitely. So the season one, so right now the game is very focused on season one, which is the theme of rebuilding Volkgaard. So actually we, uh, we kind of, we put a clean slate that, uh, so the whole environment was like just trees and rocks and stuff. So, yeah. so now players need to fulfill the quest to rebuild Volkgaard. So there's, uh, essentially what they're doing, the NPC gives them quests that every person needs to individually fulfill. Uh, but then it con contributes to a global quest. For example, to unlock the gate, right? They need thousand quests fulfilled and they need to gather wood, stock, flax uh, uh, and rock. Yeah, that's the one. So they gather those resources. Um, so that's one element, gathering. They will be crafting between us. Not secret. They will be crafting in the season. So these resources could be crafted, right? But that's yet to be unlocked. Um, and of course there is a fishing right so fishing yeah. right now there is uh fishing for fun but also there'll be fishing tournament and of course the thing the resources that you pick from fishing will be part of the wider economy so right now we've got certain resources we're releasing more and more of these and unlocking more and more things to do as the season progresses okay cool cool so that that's what people do i love this because yeah i've gone in there i broke some rocks i cut some bangs i've fished I've, I've played it so it's been cool and i like the idea that the community aspects really i'd be really curious to know what your uh vision going forward is going to be our vision is to redefine the gaming experience by creating multiple multiple games uh with multiple revenue uh streams so 
in the next couple of years, we'll be focusing on building the games. Uh, but after that, we are deploying the our educational arm uh, with Rogue's Education. And further down the line, we'll also be looking at and working on tools to help game developers create their own games. So this is something that we're very excited about. Um, so essentially, think of Rogue's as an ecosystem for gamers as well as game developers to build unique, quirky, and social games. What are the biggest obstacles you faced in making games for Web3? I think there are multiple challenges, right? Um, you know, aside from financials, right? Let's say financials on the side with markets and everything. I think the re one of the challenges is just the noise. Actually, somebody told me this today, right? The noise that, that's happening around yeah. everyone, a lot of people building, but a lot of less quality. So when you're building something of quality and when you're working hard to do something, but you may necessarily not have the huge marketing budgets, your product can get lost. And I feel yeah. that there is a consumer base that doesn't know what to believe in anymore, right? They've been rugged, they've been misled. Yep. So, however, the interesting dynamic there is that they still fall to, to the same patterns of the past, right? They, they've been probably uh, failed and misled once, but they still go after successful marketing, uh, you know, over-promising and the delivering marketing uh, and so on. So I think the biggest challenge for us has been more on around, yes, fighting companies with bigger marketing budgets and just presenting what we have in the best way possible to a, a world that, you know, doesn't know what to believe in anymore. Okay, yeah, that's a really well put. And like sometimes marketing budgets are too big for where uh, ecosystem is at. I think that kind of was an issue. Like, I think it's going to take a little bit of time for a lot of games to figure out the model that sort of makes the most sense in this space. Like, what is it exactly? Is it game? Is there play to earn? Is there not? Is it just NFT? Like, what is, what is that, like, secret mix of all the elements that makes a game really pop? And so yeah. in the past, we've had games that might have gotten, like, big VC funding. They threw a ton of marketing spin at it. It turned into one big Ponzi. It pumped. It dumped. It's crickets now. Metaverse, yeah. I think, kind of had that problem. Metaverse might have been five, 10 years ahead of its time, you know? No, I have a lot to add because um, before doing this, me, my co-founder and I worked in virtual reality when they, it wasn't called the metaverse. It was <laughs> back in 2017. So we've seen it though. We've seen the hype cycles. And yeah. this is what, uh, it, it's really, I don't want to be the skeptic here, but what happened, I've, I've been on a lot of talks and panels about the metaverse. The reality of it is, it's not there yet. <laughs> um, but one thing that I want to say as well is that where are the innovators, right? I feel that um, one of the challenges has been when you truly want to innovate, you're not fitting a certain mold, right? Yeah. Which means, you know, again, it just goes around what the market wants. They want to see same or same or a replica of what is being done before, but shinier. Yeah. But the blockchain and gaming are there for us. Our vision is it's about the innovation and the transition between the two. And not just for innovation's sake, but with, with, for the sake of building new products that are better, that can make even more customers happy, more players, and expand the ecosystem versus just repeating what's been done in the past. I think a lot of people see Web 2 and they try to sort of back into Web 3, like a Web 2 business model. And I know that like Web 2, Web 3, it sounds like it's just like a simple, like add a number to the end of Web. They are so fundamentally different. It's kind of wild. I, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, about digital ownership. Web 2... You don't own anything. You just see that like, you know, in on X 
whatever Twitter X, they just got rid of someone's account because they wanted it. They could do that because yeah. it's centralized. It's it's the illusion of ownership. And that is across yeah. almost everything in Web2, your data, your words, your images, your videos like we don't own any of that. Web3, you do. And that is like a tectonic shift of process that you can't back in because Web2, it's about getting the maximum amount of money and like basically they get a ton of money off all their users. They exploit their time, right? <laughs> like and, and data. Now the data and time is on the, the user. And I just don't know how that's going to shift. I'm just thinking about that all lately. What do you think about sort of how digital ownership is going to shift in Web3 versus Web2? I'm just hoping that um, the ideals that we're all hoping for, right? The ownership, the digital ownership to the people are going to become true. Um, That's what I'm hoping. I can't predict the future. Uh... I think there will be bad players because in any new technology, they're bad players, right? Web2 was really great when it started. And look yeah. what it turned out to with the social media giants. And by the way, I'm also very much into data privacy. I, I was part of a startup on that as well nice. uh, in my previous in- endeavor. So, um, yeah, essentially, I-, I believe that, yes, it's very idealistic and it's a beautiful concept. I think we as people, we need to work harder to keep it this way. And do not let's not allow the big, big players and bad actors to come in and uh, destroy this this ideal that we have. So well put. I, I'm hoping for the ideals too. I, I think marketing is gonna be such a juggernaut on Web3. I think each person is worth a whole lot more money than Web2 wants people to understand, wants users to understand their value and what their data is really worth. And then there's a mechanism in Web3 to help them see that value. I think things are gonna exponentially shift in that direction, because it just makes sense. And by the way, there is a really good joke about who uses the, the, the word user, right? The word user is used by tech companies and by uh, pharmaceutical uh, manufacturer about drug abuse, right? Yeah. That's what it means, right? The word user um, is, is about, so I try to think of a different word. I can't think of one right now. But I agree with you there. Um, the real user shouldn't be a user, should be a community member. That's what I. That's what yes. we think, right? Yeah. And in this case, that doesn't take the $1 per user customer acquisition cost. You're right. It does take custom hundreds of dollars. It takes a founder's time. Yeah. It it's so much time to nurture. And I actually have been talking um, about this with Morgan, about how much time we spend and versus ca- how can we continue this forever, right? It doesn't take even that much if you want to scale it, but it does take the desire to listen to every person, to to nurture them, right? To yeah. to befriend them versus considering just your your community members as users, right? They're yeah. not users. They're your frugant, you know, they're your crowd. Yeah. That's how it is. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's such a, it's so, I love that. It's such a radical concept. This is what I like about Web3. Because, like, people are like, we're early. They said, no, we're so early. Like, this stuff is, like, the models aren't even, like, constructed yet. Like, every day Joe's finding something new about figuring something out with NFTs or or whatever with our projects. So I can only imagine it's the same with yours. But I really am, like, I, I hope, like, this community idea, like, it's going to be a different shift of value and power. I don't know exactly where it all goes. But it's not, like, I, my hope is that it's not just a bunch of, it's not, it's not a hundred billionaires run Web three. I'm hoping to. And I'm. I'm. <laughs> unfortunately, we did see some not billionaires for sure, but right, we have a lot of projects um, in the NFT space that were 
realized and then and then you know again it didn't they didn't fulfill what web3 is about but going forward i'm really hoping that things will become better and uh really like that that's my man- mantra anyone a- anyway um anyone can benefit from a company project however you want to call it right an organization profiting that doesn't mean that the people should cannot profit themselves right there is yeah. enough resources to go around if spent cleverly and without waste right and i think there is a lot of this topic about waste what does that mean and for me for example like you said i'm not gonna say which billionaire just wasted billion of self fun value right for me this is a waste right (laughs) yeah that's funny yeah what a what a time i I, thanks for getting all philosophical with me this is my favorite part about podcasts just getting a little philosophical about stuff (laughs) like it and uh to wrap it up any last things you want to share with the audience anything's coming up any specific dates this is your shill moment at the end of the podcast this is your shill moment Awesome. Yeah. I don't normally like the show, but uh, no, um, there, is, there is just so much going on. So uh, right now we're in the middle of season one of World of Rogues. So the game is all open and playable daily, but we'll be dropping so many surprises. You're not going to believe it, guys. So we have some special things um, to unlock in the game, right? Of course, unlock to get some free stuff. That is also good, right? Uh, NFTs and more. Um, so that from now on, it will be happening mostly in the game. So there's going to be a lot of uh, things to do in the game. Uh, so if you're not on, on the allow list, um, please fulfill the form on our re- website, rogues.studio. You have to apply to get in. Yeah. Um, but essentially, yeah, season one would end uh, beginning of October. So, but, so there's still two more months to play in that season before we fully rebuild Vogueguard. Um, and if, you, if you're one of the top winners, right, uh, you can have your name written on the statue in Vogueguard forever, for the whole duration of the game, meaning forever, right? And until the death, the death of block, the blockchain. Uh, just kidding. Um, so, you know, we have that. And of course, we have some extra surprises and uh, our tokens as well, um, you know, have, have a look, but there is a lot to unpack there. Wow, that's that's awesome. Well, uh, looking forward to it. And uh, I just want to thank you for uh, making the time to come on Ready Layer One and really break down. And this was a really great conversation. Really candid. Thank you for that. And uh, you know, and I'll, I'll, you'll see me in the you'll see me at the game. You know, I try to pop in when I can. <laughs> thank you, Jared. Cool. Great to be here. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Ready Layer One is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. You should not make any decision, financial investment, trading, or otherwise based on any of the information presented in this podcast without undertaking independent due diligence and consultant and consultation with a professional broker or financial advisor.